Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. Hey, listeners, it is great to be back with you. I, I took a week gap and so I didn't um, post the podcast last week. It's just been an intense year. It's been interesting times that we found ourselves in and I just wanted to take a little bit of a Sabbath and I hope that you are taking care of yourself as well, that you are taking some rest uh, when you can feel that you are getting fed up. Whenever you get fed up with life and you sit back and you say, well, you know what, I don't know what's going on. You know, I don't have energy for anything. I just don't feel um, I want to go out there and conquer the world. Then those are usually the moments that your mind, your body is telling you, listen, you need some rest. You need some Sabbath. There was some wisdom in the Old Testament God to say, look, every every uh, seventh day of the week, you've got to rest and clear your mind and not do too much. So we need that, especially in the day, days that we live like um, in, in the 21st century. I mean, it's very busy. It's it's very cutthroat. It's very, um, you know, rat racy. And um, yeah, so anyways, I hope that you're doing well. And um, I thought today to do a, a podcast on a specific text that we find in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 1 to 7. And I'm going to talk about that in the moment. But before I get there, I just want to say how this topic came about. I was asked a question recently, well, actually yesterday, about what is the difference between a practicing Christian and a non-practicing Christian. And uh, it was quite interesting because some people say, well, uh, a, a practicing Christian is somebody who goes to church. So it's somebody who is religious. I don't have that same idea. You know, they say a non-practicing Christian, therefore, is somebody who doesn't go to church, but they do believe in Jesus, for example. Uh, I, I don't think that is the biblical idea of it. I think that's a social construct. That's something that that people understand uh, Christianity to be. For many people, Christianity is just about going to church. But yet, uh, the Bible tells us a different story. I mean, first of all, we need to kick out of the door the word Christian because it's only found three times in the New Testament scriptures. And it's, and it's a word actually given to followers of Jesus by people who are not following Jesus. So I don't really like that term, but, you know, we can work around that. Um, yet the word disciple is found 294 times to refer to the people that are following Christ. And that's more of a, of a good definition of what a real, shall we call it, Christian then is. A practicing Christian is somebody who follows Jesus every day. It's not a just go to church on Sunday deal. It's an everyday deal. It's about I become like him. I think like him. I talk like him. I do the things that Jesus would do. That is what it means to be a practicing Christian. So in my mind, a non-practicing Christian is somebody who says that he believes in Jesus, but he doesn't do what he says. And Jesus spoke about that in the book of Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, where he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. And there are many people in the world that um, actually call Jesus their Lord, but they don't do what he says. And what's even more interesting is that um, people don't even know what he says. And I think that frustrates God. I think it's very frustrating to call yourself a Christian, but not really to live that out. Not really because, and, and not because, you know, because you suddenly now become a bad person. Not at all. You are robbing yourself of the blessings that is in store for you when you actually do follow 
Jesus. So there are loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of Christians out there. I've been there as well myself who say they are followers of Jesus, but they don't even do what he says. They don't do what his word says and they don't even know what his word says. Let me give you an example. Uh, a, f- a few years ago, um, I did some counseling with a lady and she was really struggling in a in a marriage and she claimed to be a Christian, but she wasn't really a Christian, but she, she believed in Jesus, uh, but she didn't go to church. She didn't read the words of Jesus. She didn't try to find out who God is. She just assumed, well, if she has to make a choice between a big Muslim and a Hindu, she's probably a Christian. She grew up in a Christian environment, so she would consider herself to be a Christian. Anyways, and uh, so she was struggling with her marriage. Eventually, it, it reached a point where it seemed like uh, her and her husband, they were going to break up and that's going to be the end of their marriage. And then I received a call from the husband. Now, up to this point, I haven't spoken to the husband at all. I've never uh, met him. I've never even shaken his hand. He called me, he said, please, could we meet up? He would like to talk to me. He hears that I've been providing some counseling for his wife. And in any case, we met at a local restaurant and he started talking to me. Very nice guy, amazing guy. And, and he started talking to me about his marriage. And he said, look, I've tried everything in my marriage. I've tried everything to, to make it work. I mean, we've seen people before as well, you know, and you could see he's just a very intellectual, very nice guy. And I, it, it almost looks like from a distance, how is it possible that these guys can't resolve their marriage? This guy was a highly intelligent. He was an engineer and he couldn't resolve his marriage. And so I asked him then a question. I said to him, um, are you a Christian? He said, yes, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, okay. So, um, do you, do you read the Bible? And he says, well, not, not, not as often as, as I'd like to. Okay. So you're a Christian, but you don't read the Bible. So you say you follow Jesus, but you don't actually know what Jesus said. And I said to him, okay, so have you, have you at all read all of the verses in the Bible of the God whom you prof- profess to follow or worship? Have you read what your God says about marriage and how marriage should be done? You know what his answer was? No, he hasn't. He hasn't even read one verse that talks about marriage in the Bible. But he told me just earlier, but he's he's done everything in his power. And I'm like, no, you haven't done everything in your power. In actual fact, the first thing that you should have done, you haven't done. Okay, so you, you say you've tried all kinds of different things. Um, you claim to be a Christian, but you haven't even read what the Bible says about your particular issue. And this is for me phenomenal as an evangelist goes around talking to different types of people, meeting these non-practicing Christians, because that's, in a sense, what this guy was. He was a non-practicing Christian. <clears throat> What's interesting for me is, is that we, they claim to believe in the Bible. They claim to believe it's the Word of God. They claim to believe that this Bible talks about the true God of the universe. They have lots of problems in their lives. They've got financial problems sometimes. At other times, it's psychological problems. At other times, it's family problems. At other times, it's marital problems. At other times, it's interpersonal conflict issues. At other times, it's pornography or sexuality issues. And you know what? None of these people, so often, they don't even go and try and read what God says about their particular problem and their struggle. And that, for me, is striking. I'm a person who honestly believes that there are things written already 2,000 years ago through the pens of the great apostles inspired by God himself that can change our lives practically as we live out our lives. And so what many people do is 
even practicing or non-practicing Christians, is that they would buy a book. They would go to exclusive books and go buy the latest book on how to do marriage or whatever the case may be, whatever it is that they struggle with. And they'll go read what some guy wrote who's 40 years old and he wrote this book about the psychology of marriage. Psychology has only been in existence for I, I can't remember that, but 100 or 200 years. It's not a, it's not a long time since, since the days of uh, Sigmund Freud. I mean, the father of psychology. Before that, this discipline of psychology didn't really exist. Okay, so these guys would go and then they would go, go buy these books to help them through the struggles of their lives. But that guy who wrote that book, he's only 40 years old. And that means that his brain is only 40 years old. And that means that the content of his brain is limited. Yet we've got pieces of writing here that's 2,000 years old. This book, the Bible, been the most sold book in the world, been the most persecuted book in the world, been the most destroyed book in the world, yet it is the most powerful book in the world. And it has changed people's lives for more than 2,000 years. If this was a myth, and if this things written in here was junk, it would have been destroyed long time back. But yet there's spiritual truths here that can change our lives. And so it's just interesting for me as... Uh, as I make disciples to meet so many people who, and, and I'm talking about people who do believe in God, you know, how how often they neglect just going to the simple text, reading what it says about life, right? Now, I'm one of those guys, if I go buy a fan, it's the beginning of summer, I go buy a fan, you know, it comes in a box, and then you've got to unpack it, and you've got to set it up, and things like that. The last thing that I would do is look at the manual on how to put it together. That's the last thing that I would do. It, it's almost annoying to do that, right? I would try set up the fan by myself. But sometimes there's something, you know, a fan is maybe a simple example. But sometimes when you put things together, you just can't figure it out. And then eventually you have to go to the manual. I believe that if God created us, and that if he created us with a purpose, and that he designed us, and he designed marriage, and he designed life on earth, then he would give us a manual on how to do it. And that is what we have in these scriptures. It is a manual. It helps us to know how to do it. And so today I'm going to give you an example of that. If you are married, you are planning on getting married. Um, if you have been married and you have not figured out how it works, I want to read to you and, and just talk briefly about seven verses <coughs> Excuse me, written by the great apostle Peter. Basically, the leader of the first century Christian movement, the disciples of Jesus. I think it's phenomenal to go and read what he says. I mean, you, you, you're talking about a guy here who made a phenomenal impact in this world where we live. You're talking about a guy who walked with Jesus. And you're talking about a guy who walked with Jesus and he was married. All right. So I think if we listen to what he says, I think he might have some ideas. His writings have been preserved for 2,000 years. This isn't stuff that was written 40 years ago or 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And this isn't the stuff of just a man's brain. This is the stuff that comes from a man who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who walked with Jesus. Now, let's look at this. Let's look at this. The text goes like this. He says, he starts off with the wives. So he's got like Six verses here dedicated to women and what they must do, to wives, what they must do. And then one verse dedicated to what a man must do. Now, there's a lot of talk around uh, where people say, well, the Bible is patriarchal uh, and the 
the feminist movements, obviously, they would climb into this and say, well, you know, look at this. This is evidence that the uh, the biblical writers, they, they, you know, they grew up in a different society and men were favored and they were more important and things like that. Um, yet, if that was true, wouldn't there be more verses dedicated to what a man must do than what a woman must do? Anyways, so let's let's talk about this. First of all, in verse one, he says, wives in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So there's a few things I just want to point out here. In the first instance, he's saying that wives need to be submissive to their husbands. And this is obviously where a lot of the, the women get upset. And a lot of the feminists would say, yeah, yeah, you, you see there. But it's because people misunderstand what the word submit means. When the word Submit is used. It is the the Greek word is hupotasso, which means that you place your priorities under the priorities of your husband. Okay, here's the crux: because he places his priorities under the priorities of Christ. I'm just going to repeat that again. That is what submit means. Submit means this, ladies: you place your priorities under the priorities of your husband. Because your husband is placing his priorities under the priorities of Christ. Now, let me explain that to you. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, Paul also writes, and he says that husbands must love their wives as Christ loves the church. So what's the husband's role? What is his job? He needs to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Well, he gave himself up for her. He sacrificed himself on a cross for her. If your husband do that, if you're a lady listening to this, if you have a husband, okay, who sacrifices his life for you, he would die for you. Wouldn't you do anything for him that he needs in that process? That is what submission is, ladies and gentlemen. Submission becomes so much easier. And this is for the men. Submission becomes so much easier for your wife when you submit to Christ because you become an exceptional husband. And ladies have been designed, I believe this, I'm speaking from a biblical perspective. Ladies have been designed, as we see in the book of Genesis, to help their husbands lead, okay? And take responsibility for the family. So that's the first idea of submission. And often this is a problem in, in, in marriages because husbands don't submit to Christ. That's why it's very hard for their wives to submit to them. And you know, when we come to people and, and we say to people, you know what, you need God in, in your marriage. People generally, they don't understand what that means. They've got no idea. What does that mean? Does it mean that we've got to go to church as a family? What does it mean? It doesn't mean that. It means that you obey Christ. That's what it means. When the husband and the wife start obeying Jesus in their marriage, that marriage cannot fail. It becomes exceptional. Okay, so that's the first idea. And then what's interesting here is he's talking specifically about wives who are married to men who are not believers. And he says, this is how you're going to turn over your husband. This is how you're going to win your husband over. Listen to what the text says. It says, not with words, but with your behavior. So that is interesting for me because what do women generally do? When they're upset with their husbands or when they want their husbands to change. What do they generally do? I'm just speaking generally. My experience is that they talk to them. They try to talk sense into them. They try to negotiate with them. And sometimes they talk too much. And if you really want to frustrate a man, talk too much. 
All right. And we're going to get back to that in a moment. Listen to what the beauty of this text is. Don't try to win your husband over with words. Don't try shout at him. Don't try to tell him he's useless. Don't try with your words to change him. Just change your behavior. Make your behavior exceptional. That will bring about greater fruit in your husband's life than your words. Okay. And then he says verse 2. When they see the purity and the reverence of your life. So the question is. What type of behavior does Peter say a lady needs to have in her marriage? Listen to this. Number one, purity. Number two, reverence. Purity. What is that? Purity can be seen in the way you speak. It can be seen in the way that you um, behave, that you throw things down if you get upset. Purity is being this person that you can't point the finger out. So if you if you are a, a, a wife struggling with a difficult husband, make sure that no finger can be pointed to you. That is going to bring about greater results than shouting and ranting and raving. Uh, secondly, what is reverence? Reverence carries this idea of respect. Continue to respect this man in your house. Not because he deserves respect but because you respect God and you want to do his will. You'll be surprised when you start doing these things, how that changes around your marriage. And then in verse three, he says, your beauty uh, should not come from outward adornments, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty uh, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And that is for me absolutely phenomenal. I think that there are loads and loads and loads and loads of wives out there who spend loads and loads and loads of money on their nails, on their hair, on their makeup, on their clothing, on their jewelry to make themselves beautiful. They spend so much money and so much time on what they look like on the outside. And they spend no time on what they look like on the inside. And Peter is so powerful here. He says, he says, you know what? I would rather want you to look good to God. It's much more valuable to look good to God. Because, and you, you, you guys, you and I know that beauty uh, often is only skin deep. I've met some of the most gorgeous women in my life. that are the most ugliest people inside. Look at what the text says. It says, um, what is the type of beauty? The inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. What this text is saying, a, a woman that God finds beautiful is a woman that is gentle and has a quiet spirit. That's what God finds beautiful. You can be absolutely, you've got the most amazing nails and hair, but you are not gentle. You are not quiet. And I've got to be honest with you, and I, I might be biased, but you know what? I really appreciate a woman that is gentle. Because a woman has been designed to be soft. And I'd like her character to be in line with her creation. A gentle and a quiet spirit. A woman that doesn't stand up and shout and swear and, and scream. I mean, that is not what I see a, a gentle and quiet woman to be. That, that is the opposite of what is of great worth in God's sight. Right, And I think that must be tremendous torture for a godly man to have a wife that is aggressive, always shouting, always screaming. That is not a, a wonderful uh, wife. That is not a wonderful 
marriage to be in. So let's just recap and say the following. So this is the challenge that Peter is giving to wives. He says, submit your husbands. And we understand that by now. And then he says, you win them over without words by your behavior. You want your husband to change. You're going to get more done by becoming more um, pure and reverent. And then he says, spend more time and money on changing on the inside than on the outside. Okay. And that, and he's not saying don't look good on the outside. He's not saying don't brush your hair. Okay. And don't put up makeup. That's not what he's saying. He's saying just put the right emphasis where it needs to be. I think you'd be amazing wife if you take care of yourself on the outside, but you take even more care of yourself on the inside. And what's interesting for me here is that he's saying, um, you should make it your goal to be more attractive to God than to anybody else. And what God really appreciates and what God, what God finds beautiful is a woman with a gentle and a quiet spirit. That is what makes you beautiful. And I've seen this before. I've seen women who don't have their nails done, who don't have their hair done, who don't have the makeup on, but they're gentle and quiet. And that makes them beautiful. And, and they're reverent and they're submissive. And in a way that makes them so beautiful. They don't even need the makeup anymore. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I've, I've seen that before. And then, then it says, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, Abraham and called him her master. Okay, and this might be a little bit patriarchal, but I mean, Sarah was an exceptional example of being so, so respectful of her husband. But then again, she had an amazing husband. And I think that's what most women's battle are today is that they just, I mean, there's just some bad men out there and some bad husbands. And sometimes I've been that as well. And then the text says, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Okay, so ladies, you are off the hook now. We're going to go to the men. And there's only one verse for the men. And let me tell you this at the outside, it's even worse for the men. Okay, it's even worse for you. Listen to this. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. What does that mean? In the same way. In the same way. What do you mean the same way? Okay. In the same way as a woman must treat you, so you must also treat your wives. Isn't that interesting? Right? There needs to be mutual respect. There needs to be mutual uh, gentility. There needs to be mutual purity. It's not only the wives that must be pure. In actual fact, Peter is saying here, all the things that I just told the wives to do, in the same way the man needs to do that as well. And then he says, be considerate as you live with your wives. And to be honest with you, this is one of the things that I think most men struggle with. They don't consider their wives when they spend money. They don't consider their wives when they get outbursts of anger. They don't consider their wives when they make decisions for the family. They don't consider their wives when they uh, want to have sex and how they want to have sex. They just consider themselves. I mean, if you're a lady listening to this, you would know exactly what this is about. Does your husband consider you in everything that he does? 
Isn't that something extremely important? And most ladies would agree and say, you know what? It is so much better. My marriage is so much better if my husband would just consider me. If you just consider my feelings before he invited those people over. If you just consider my feelings before he led that person into our house. If you just consider my feelings before he just went and bought that car. Right? So I think this is valuable advice. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And listen to this. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Oh, now and now the feminists are going nuts. Now the feminists, they are very upset about this text in the Bible that now said that women are weaker than men. Okay. And I don't think that you get the right idea if you assume that this means that women are generally weaker than men. Okay, but the truth, what I believe Peter is talking about here is he's talking about physicality. You see, generally, when women wants to fix their husbands and they don't know what to do anymore, they use words to fix their husbands. And Peter had already spoken about it, he, that. He said, you don't use words. Okay, it's not going to work. You use behavior. Now, he says, you've got to be considerate. Now, he's talking to the husbands. You've got to be considerate with your wives as you live with them as the weaker partner. And he's talking about the idea that many men, when they get frustrated with their women and their words, and they can't win the argument, what do they do? They become physical. They beat their wives. Why? Because that's all they have left. They don't have words to defend themselves. They don't have intellectual arguments to defend themselves. So they become pigs and they push around their wives. Look, I'm stronger than you. And this is the truth, guys. It doesn't matter how feminist you are. Men are stronger than women. Okay, it's a fact. It's a biological fact. It's a natural fact. You might be listening to this and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know. You know, I married quite a strong woman. You know, I'm, I'm sorry for you, but generally, generally our wives are weaker than what we are. I've got a very strong wife, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you now, if we go into a boxing ring, she will lose hands down. And most of the people I know, most of the marriages I know, they will lose. Now, here's the crux of the matter and the beauty of what Peter is saying here. How do you treat somebody that's weaker than you? If you've got a godly heart, how do you treat somebody that's weaker than you? Isn't it true that you treat people who are weaker than you like a child or, or, or a frail old person? How do you treat somebody that's weaker than you? You treat them with respect. You treat them with honor. You carry them around. You don't abuse them. You don't verbally abuse them. You don't physically abuse them. You treat them with respect. And then he says he gives a reason why. You treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means. I've read different interpretations about that, but I think it could mean two things. Number one, she's a human on the planet with you and God has given you life with her. Or it could mean that she's the one that has been placed into your life with whom you can reproduce and have children in this world. So you've got to respect her because she's the mother of your children. My goodness, she carries your genetics. She's produced offspring for you. So you've got to treat her with respect. Okay, not only because she's the weaker partner, but because she carried your child. And here, here the text closes off with something extremely interesting and powerful. And this is it. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. I'm going to re repeat the whole sentence. 
Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know what that is saying? If you don't, if you don't respect your wife as the weaker partner and if you don't honor her and if you're not considerate with her, God will not hear your prayers. God will not listen to you. The supreme ruler of the universe, the God of creation, will turn his face away from you based on how you treat your wife. Now I'm asking the question, who's got the greatest responsibility in this marriage thing? Who's got the biggest axe by his neck? It is the man, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you that 90% of the cases, marriage cases, marriage issues that I face, 90% can be resolved by the man. The issue is with the man. He doesn't know how to lead his family. He does not respect or honor God. And therefore, he doesn't, he doesn't consider his wife. He doesn't respect her as the heir of life. And he treats her as an equal in terms of physicality. He doesn't treat her as the weaker partner in that um, category. You know what, guys? I've seen this over and over and over again. You might be listening to this and you're sneering at it because maybe you've got an atheistic or an agnostic perspective, you know, that, that is fine. Um, I am making this podcast on behalf of a Christian worldview. If you go and you take these verses, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, and you are married, and I'm willing to bet my life on this. If you, you and your wife, you and your husband, you take these verses, and you decide today to obey it, to become a practicing Christian, to just do it, I promise you today, your marriage will become absolutely amazing. Nothing will get in and it will become the greatest joyful relationship in your life. I'm willing to bet my life on it. And this is just one text. This is just, this is just seven verses out of a whole book. Ladies and gentlemen, this word is God-breathed. There are things in here that can change our lives. The problem is this. Number one, we don't know it. Number two, if we do know it, we don't do it. It's time for uh, Christians to really stand up and say, I'm going to be a practicing Christian. I'm going to do what the word says, and that will fix your life. Guys, have a fantastic week. Love you lots. Cheers.